and welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall joined as always by my buddies, Chris McCormick, Ryan Brath, and Gene Parenti. We've got a rare Fully Equipped After Dark. <laughs> what could go wrong? Boys, how we doing? And no supervision by coach, which makes it even better. Yeah. This is this could this could go off the rails <clears throat> quickly. We are totally we're fully equipped, fully equipped after dark because <clears throat> I am traveling. I'm in Houston for the Houston Open, traveling back tomorrow, and because I I'm the big shot here, I get to get to tell you guys when I want to do the podcast. So here we are. But yeah, coach is coaching. He actually is living up to his name, and we've got a lot to talk about. But always, as I said, how are we doing? Let's just first, you know what? Let's just first start with with the most important guy in the room. Serial killer. How was the yes, trip? Yes, sir. The trip. What, which trip are you referring to, sir? <clears throat> <laughs> He's rubbing it in your face already. Yeah. Okay, why don't you just why don't you just tell, uh, you know, everybody out there who doesn't get your your texts and all uh-huh, the uh, uh-huh. all the choice words that we were dishing your way. Well, if uh, if it's the most recent trip that you were referring to, uh, just got yeah, back yeah. from a, a lovely guy's trip out to uh, to Pebble Beach. It was 16 months in the making with uh, 20 of my nearest and dearest uh, besties, uh, other than you guys, of course. And uh, we had well, somehow that invite got <clears throat> lost in the mail. I yeah. Did you check your spam folder? I know I sent it. I know it was there. That's the one that I did not check. It was in. Dang. It was in with Gene's speaker. It was sent at the same time. <laughs> the tracking for Gene's speaker was in there too. Rim yeah, shot. It's in there. <laughs> but we were uh, we were there for the the whole Monterey Pebble Beach experience with uh, with Spanish Bay and Spyglass and Poppy Hills and of course Pebble. We played Tigers Par Three, the Hay. And uh, stayed at the lodge and and just uh, just really made a trip out of it. It was fantastic, and <clears throat> I won skins on four of the days of the trip, so I was I was pretty happy with that. I still shot like crap, but I managed to put a few birdies on the card that uh, that snuck some money out of the other guy's wallets and uh, and found its way home with me. So that was nice. I think I paid for like one fifth of a round at, uh, at Spanish Bay with the amount of one money I wanted skins. So that was nice. I had that going for me. Wow. Is that the ultimate guy's destination for a golf trip is pebble and, and all the <coughs> places you just reeled off. I mean the other, I was just thinking about this as you're talking about your trip, but I'm thinking Bannon's got to be up there at least in consideration. Maybe Pinehurst sure. stream song. I mean, Pebble has to be it, right? I mean, I Pinehurst, though. I, I think Pinehurst is great. Hey, I've never done, done Pinehurst. I've done Pinehurst. Run for, for the run for its money, you know? I, so I would, I would have to say that if the turf conditions are good and the weather's good, Pebble is really, really tough to beat. And, I mean, we had, no joke, like the most perfect window of weather when we were leaving yesterday, there was a winter storm coming in and it was, uh, it was shifting to cold wind and rain, like literally as we were leaving Monterey and we we're just going like, this is unbelievable. This was the most perfect block of weather. There was no wind. It was in the sixties. It was sunny and clear. And I mean, it was just absolutely. We get phenomenal. it. It was nice, Chris. <laughs> I can keep going. I mean, I can I can rattle off this pod just talking about this trip. It was fantastic. Uh, did I tell you I stayed at the lodge? Because uh, that was that was pretty awesome. All right, well, I don't we're going to mute. We're going to mute Chris. We're going to mute Chris. Um, but in, in all honesty, you've been running around doing a lot of work, so it's nice to see you get a proper guys' golf trip in in a little bit of downtime and nice weather too. I'm happy for you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It was no Augusta National like you know some of us have gotten to play, but I would I would definitely put it up there in the I, upper I, echelon. Listen, I did not bring awesome. it up. You did. I did not bring it up. Um, RB, are you preparing yourself for what is on tap for next week? You're readying your body for all the air travel we're going to be doing. I am. I am 
uh, I've already done some research and I'm ready to abuse some airport lounges um, <laughs> during the trip. That's kind of the one thing that I've, I've gotten used to now. Um, I took took the plunge and got the uh, got the card status thing going. So that's some you know. I was looking at the like the our um, our Expedia. Well, I do I use Expedia, so that was a, I guess that was a free plug. But shout out Expedia, I, I, our podcast. Looking at all of the like itinerary and the flights and all that stuff, and I was like, man, this is just like nonstop, which I've never really done before. So uh, very curious, but I'm I'm ready to go. I'm gonna be packed. I'm gonna have lots of uh, lots of clothes, lots of fresh undies, lots of socks. That's usually my I overpack on those two things, but I'm gonna be ready to go. And uh, that's gotta be a guy thing to do. God, I do I the same know. thing. I got. I just. I need them. I don't want to. I do not want to run out. I mean, I know I can. You can run to like a, a store somewhere, like a Target or whatever. But like, I don't know. I just. I. I have to overpack. So that's. I'm all ready to go. Uh, and very excited. We're gonna be. We're gonna be getting a lot of stuff heading into <coughs> next year, which I'm very excited for. Yeah. So RB and I are headed, early. I guess. Well, on Sunday, we're headed out to the West Coast for some meetings with two of the biggest OEMs in the industry. We're going to get a, a preview of their upcoming wares for 2023. And we're also going to get to spend a day with Mr. Robot doing some content. Gene, we teased it last week. You're doing driver testing right now. How's it going? It's going well. It's... um. It's been really interesting. I've got to say, I haven't really broken down the numbers, but I have seen some things I haven't seen in the last 20 years uh, in regard to off-center hit performance on certain clubs. Um, A couple of the draw bias clubs that I've tested so far have been – so uh, when we set up for like manufacturer A – we set up everything in a neutral position. And once you get like their stock new club, you know, their standard one, then they'll have like a draw version or a low spin version or, you know, a high MOI version. But it's really easy once we go through the nine point test because we then take the second club and just put it in at the same setting and everything's square, right? Because it's, it's you know, there's, there's no difference. Whereas when you switch the hosels out from, brand A to brand B, then you've got to reset everything up. Anyways, bottom line, two two manufacturers, two of the biggies, uh, we put in their draw bias club 30 yards to the left, both of them. I mean, just well, all both of, of them 30 like, yards to the left. Both of them 30 yards to the left. So uh, It's exciting. Yeah. Especially if you're it's, a gigantic it's, slicer. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there. There's some products that are out that are going to be coming out that are really, really uh, helpful for those who are battling the slice. Um, there's also some gear effect patterns we've seen out of one manufacturer that really bring the ball back to center line. Something I haven't seen in a long time. Um, some products that have some really forward facing. When I say forward facing, up to the face CG locations that have lowered spin. They're not quite as friendly on off-center hits, which you would expect, but they're flat spin killers. It's uh, It's been pretty interesting so far. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things I think we fear in this industry, and I think we all kind of hold our breath when new products come out, is like, oh, God, is it going to be, you know, anything different, anything unique? And so far what I've seen, um, there's a lot of product differentiation and there's going to be a lot of reasons for um, players to kick the tires on new drivers and take a look at them. So it's going to be an interesting year. Nice. Big year for drivers. I am excited. So Gene and I were, were texting and he was dropping some of the insights as literally in real time. And it's, I think it's going to be a really special year for drivers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, there's, there's going to be, you know, I was telling Jay Wall this and as we were texting. I was like, "Is product X Y Z is it a draw base driver or is?" Because I have no idea, right? I'm just looking at the name. I don't know any of the marketing. I don't know any of anything, and I'm just putting it on the robot, watching it fly, and I'm like trying to figure it out and piece it together. And it was, yeah, it was kind of fun because um, I'm like, "So this is the low spin model, right?" Because the spin just dropped 500 RPM. It was, it was just why it's, 
it's weird to be in my bubble because I, I look like a hoarder right now. I just have all of these boxes of heads and, you know, and I pull them out and I look at them and I look at the name and with zero context as to what the marketing story is, it's like, huh, we'll see what this does. Put it on the machine and start looking at the data. Yeah. It's kind of like how brand agnostic fitters look at like when they open a drawer, right? That's what we always used to say when, you know, like any, like where I worked did that. It was like, you know, I don't care where the brand or the marketing story is. Like I know what it does from a performance characteristics and I'm just going to pick whatever the model name is and, you know, model like an XYZ, have it be a driver, fairywood, iron and give it to the player and say, this is what it's supposed to do. I don't. And a lot of times the player doesn't care what it is, right? Like they're just looking for performance. And I always think, that's kind of an interesting way to look at it because you know most of us we were looking at the marketing story and we're and we're ready to look at and understand the technology, know what's going on inside of it. But in the end of the day, like all you care about is performance and what it actually does in the golf course. And that's why I love the robot testing portion of what we do because there's no there's no like the the robot doesn't have a bias. The robot's just a robot, right? It does what it's told. So to be able to to see that ball flight is is really cool because it gives us it gives fitters it gives the consumer the opportunity to go out and just say okay well we saw this this is kind of like what i'm looking for now i can take that and and help narrow down my decision if someone isn't going to get fit obviously we encourage that but someone's trying to do some of their own own shopping or own testing it's, it's one of the best ways to do it yeah for sure took the words right out of my mouth all right before we get into some trouble i'm sure we will as this podcast goes along, I do want to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by our friends at Fairway Jockey. We talk about custom golf clubs all the time on the pod, and we are often asked where's the best place to buy custom clubs. For us, the answer is easy because there's only one place that offers the lowest prices on custom-built golf clubs, and that's fairwayjockey.com. Do your homework. No one beats their prices, and you'll save up to 15%. And when you're talking about a bigger ticket purchase like golf clubs, that can add up to big savings. Build your custom set today at fairwayjockey.com. All right, so as I mentioned, I am in sunny Houston. You know, as a Dallas guy, Houston's not my favorite place in the world, but I can spend a couple of days here. There was a golf tournament going on, and, you know, it's interesting. End of the year is always, I think for me, is fun because you can tell which guys are are searching and which guys are just trying to log some rounds before they shut it down. And like I was talking to a couple of reps today and there were, there were a couple of tour pros who, I mean, they were, they were on the putting green for a while. One of them showed up in the morning. He was there for at, at least an hour. And I spent a lot of time just, you know, putzing around the green, digging into guys golf bags, but he was there in the morning. Then he back in the afternoon and it's not a guy, I won't mention names, but you can tell, you can tell which guys are, are there trying, trying to find something. And, and again, they're trying to test everything. We saw lots of new stuff come out recently. We've posted some of it on golf.com. The USGA conforming list is our best friend because it does give us an idea of products that are coming out in the not too distant future. And one of them is officially out in the open. That would be Cobra's new Aerojet driver and fairway wood. I was passing by Gary Woodland's bag and he had the driver. He had a nine degree head. Well, let me just throw this out there. Nine degree head or at least nine degree sticker on it. But next to the nine degree sticker was a 6.5 degree sticker. So he's turning the loft on that nine degree head way down two and a half degrees. Oh yeah. You can't do that on, on a retail head, boys. <laughs> That's that, something you do on a tour head. That must and, be like a lower lofted head, though, right? Like, they must have hand-picked that. There's no Because I think the Cobra Sleeves can only do a degree and a half, right? Like, yep. Yeah, but the the um, some of the some of the OEMs have, like, the sleeves where you can turn the you can turn the, down the loft even more. But, I mean, they're, they're like a tour loft sleeve. So, I'm assuming that, that there's something going on with this one. Although, the driver was set in what they were calling, like, the standard setting. So... I'm I'm guessing there was some manipulation going on to to dial that head into 6.5, but Gary had all kinds of lead tape on this thing. That I mean, it had two G's as in two grams 
written in Sharpie on both strips, but he had a couple of couple of very sizable strips of lead tape, one kind of centrally located and then one closer towards the heel. I know he likes to play sort of that that squeeze fade and and that I mean somebody somebody in this room may may know a little bit more about Gary Woodland's gear than I do. So, um I'll just I'll just say that, but yeah, uh, I I did talk to Gary because this is the time of the year Aerojet's out. Cobra's not really talking about it. What's going on? And Gary just said sound was a lot better with this one and just way more consistent on the miss hits. So he was just talking about, you know, with 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 a fade, you're typically worried about, you know, spin getting a little too high. This one, no problem, he said, with the spin. Spins were staying pretty consistent as he was trying to hit that go-to fade. And just overall, again, he was just hammering home, just very consistent. And there's a lot going on with this driver head. You know, if you look at if you look at the the LTDX, the LS version, and this is the the upcoming version. This is the LS as well, which is their low spin option, which I think you'll see a lot of the tour pros use if they're playing a Cobra driver. This one still has the the more forward weights. There's two of them, and depending on you know if you put more weight in one or the other, you can have more of a neutral shot shape or more of a fade shot shape, which is more of, again, if you use a low spin product like this, you're probably a better player and you're probably trying to, to hit more of that go-to fade. Um, power core, which was that, that heavier weight piece that was just behind the face, looks like it's been replaced by a carbon fiber section. There's still Cobra's PowerShell, a whole lot of carbon fiber going on. This is an interesting looking driver. Have you guys did you guys take a chance to to look at the pictures that were posted? I mean, it's it looks like there's a lot going on with this driver, which doesn't surprise me because Cobra has a lot of really smart people over there. Aerojet makes me uh, say, sounds like Aero or what was it? The Jet Speed and Aero Burner had a baby. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I Jet baby. Speed, Jet Speed. Whew. There's there's one. That was a really sneaky good driver that just kind of got like jammed in there kind of middle of the year for TaylorMade that year. It was actually really good. Yeah, it got, it got punched in the face by a bunch of puppet commercials, but unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> those were It those did. Were the fairway awesome. woods were good too. The fairway yes. woods and that jet speed line were really nice. The yes, tour really ones did. with the fixed hosel <laughs> were very good too, but I mean, speaking of the Cobra, I did see it. Um I think it looks really good. I mean, Arrow gives a lot, you know, it's written the name arrow gives a lot of it away there seems to like really cleaned up the bottom kind of like the tsr and ts uh ts or yeah, tsr2 like giving it some aerodynamic shape i think we're seeing a lot more of this from companies as they're trying to sneak out extra club head speed but um you know i think gary obviously i think well gary's a puma guy so the cobra but i think like he he was He's got a that, wilson deal yeah um but he's but he's fiddled around. I mean, Wilson doesn't hold him to like 14, 13 or fourteen clubs in the bag. That they were. It was more about getting him into the, the irons that he used, and you know that that seemed to be the biggie for them. They've tried to get him into the driver, but he's he's kind of bounced between Cobra and TaylorMade and some other drivers in there. So he's. He's he's not he's not hooked to one company because he had a, a 430 LS at, at uh, in Vegas when they when they launched he was out on the range just pounding balls with that thing so um, yep. I think having seen Gary hit drivers before you know it's a pretty impressive feat but I always think he's trying to like look for that one thing that just kind of dials him in and maybe he's a bit of a tinker when it comes to the driver like I don't tinker with my irons but I mess with drivers all the time um, just because it's fun but you know he's a he's a pro. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, I think, as you said, someone on here has a little bit more intel into Gary's bag than I would. Yeah, we, uh, we were fortunate enough to, to get Gary last year during the waste management and spent a significant amount of time kind of going through and doing some, some tinkering and some testing. And kind of like you were talking about, Gene, like when, uh, when Gary showed up, we went out to TPC Scottsdale and we were on the back of the range and we had the uh, the foresight quad and a track man going and he had literally a shopping bag full of driver heads all <laughs> the newest latest and greatest <clears throat> all the tour heads that you know did none of us in the in the peasant ranks ever get to see at retail and 
I mean, uh, like we were kind of saying, he was looking for something that just jumped off the page. And I mean, during our testing periods, he would hit two or three shots with a head, immediately take it off and just throw it in the note pile. Like two shots. He knew, nope, this isn't going to be it. And there was quite a bit of hot melt going on. There was quite a bit of lead tape. There was just this consistency that he was looking for to where he could hit that that squeeze cut and this kind of like knockdown fade that he referred to as his fairway finder that still flew 290 and then he had to be able to hit this just high bomb draw that was like a three and a quarter carry and he had to be able to hit all three of those ball flights essentially on command and the final like three heads that we had it narrowed down to we went over to the uh, the drivable 17th and then we also went to the tee on 18 and we were just hitting balls on those two holes because i mean i guess on those two holes there's a particular shot and a window that he wants to see that ball come out with on those holes and that was kind of the the deciding factor and then we repeated the process for fairway wood so it was a ton of fun working with that guy you know, you know what's interesting about that is you know, and it and it's and I'd I'd, have, I'd be interested to hear if you, if you did this intentionally or tried to, but it's like it's one thing to hit those shots, you know, when you're calm, relaxed, and usually you know, kind of hitting it within a dime or a quarter on the on the club face. But it's interesting because the gear effect patterns on off center hits for a high draw are a lot different than the gear effect patterns, you know, for that power fade. And so it, 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 I, I'd be curious to know if he tried to miss hit as well. On, you know, I know these guys don't like to try to miss it, right? Because it just, you know, that's that's bad juju and putting that out there in their, in their swing thoughts. But, man, those are two totally different shots that you at least want to know the tendencies of the club you know, when you miss hit it, because you could get an unintended result. You know, if, if, if you're towing it and it, you know, snap hooks, um, you know, on a, on a high draw, it might be just perfect on that, uh, low fade, but vice versa, you know? So yeah, I'd be curious. Did, did he try to miss hit or did he give you feedback on that? And that was, as we kind of narrowed it down, the initial testing phase and when we were just kind of taking a little test drive for some of these new head models and we were using Club Connects. So he was able to use at that point in time, his gamer shaft uh, with every single head. So that was one variable that we kept constant was he was testing with the same shaft for every head. Uh, So that feel and bend profile never changed. So he was going just stock shots diamond them and like i said within sometimes two to three swings it was just an immediate nope took the head right off threw it in the pile never touched it again and he'd take a a sharpie and put a big black x on it and then just toss it off to the side didn't want Mm -hmm. anything to do with it and then once we had it narrowed down then he started tinkering a little bit and he would tee it really low catch it low on the face tee it high hit it high on the face try it off the toe try it off the heel He was putting it through its paces once he got it kind of down to, okay, here's how it's performing on my stock shot. What happens when I miss it? And I mean, we probably hit, if I had to guess, I don't remember off the top of my head, but we probably hit 60 to 70 drives with the final combination uh, just to kind of validate its spot in the bag. Wow. We were out there for hours balls but i mean those guys are machines i think you know it's an interesting point i had someone ask i had someone reach out on instagram uh, yesterday and they asked me a question about um like between two shafts in this case right you were talking club heads but uh they were getting fit and they were kind of in between two shafts and they selected one at the end and the idea that like once something doesn't make the cut that you eliminate it even if it's close but you decide to eliminate it i think it's something that a lot of golfers should take with them into a fitting because now look, you can go back to something as well. Like I'm not saying don't go back and like try something. If you like really wanted to like get, get back and like kind of confirm something, but you know, this, this golfer that I was talking to is like very confused. Like, well, you know, they're really close. And like, you know, what did you think? And I'm like, okay, first of all, I have no idea. I have no numbers. I have nothing. But anytime like my go-to advice is always like, look, 
if something was eliminated for a reason, it was probably because it wasn't performing. But secondly, the one that you were hitting, did you prefer it more than the other one? And then they, they were like, you know, it's almost like, it's like, a, it's so it's like comes out of psychology, right? Like, did you like it or did you not like it? Well, you know, I did like the other, I did like the final one better, but I wasn't sure about this one. And you, they just needed that like confirmation, right? And I think that's what a lot of golfers struggle with is the ability to just like eliminate an option when there are so many options in the market, right? Every, consumers are brand agnostic, like Gary, when it comes to his driver, right? So to be able to look at those options, and just say like, okay, I'm going to cut this one out and then not go back to it. I think is from a professional, like a pro's point of view is, is a really smart way to do it because, you know, you narrow it down a lot faster, but for amateurs out there who are like, you know, listening to this, I think unless you're really unsure and you want to confirm something, once you've eliminated a product, whether it be a shaft or a club head or something, or like, you know, maybe a grip, but if it's a shaft or a club head, like make that decision and like stick to it. Cause I think at the end of the day, you're going to feel a lot more confident in the final product that you're going to take to the golf course and not thinking to yourself, Oh, maybe I should have got that. Cause I think what Gary did there is perfect. Like put a Sharpie on it and just say, no, thanks. Well, and, and to follow that point up, I think one of the keys is, you know, get fit, have someone that can, that can be a sounding board for you. Um, as, as Chris knows, because what happens is, you know, and I think we've all been guilty of it. You have a bad shot with a product and you're not sure if it was your swing or the, uh, or the club and you know, that doubt creeps in and, and, and a fitter can go, yeah, you hit that one fat, you know, ha- hit another couple shots to see as opposed to, oh, God, the shaft doesn't work. No, you were leaning on that shot or you got quick or something like that. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had people out and, you know, a simple video camera cures 50% of their ills because they don't realize their body's moving or, you know, they're jerking or they're doing this, but they have no idea that they're doing that. And a lot of times they will blame that on the equipment and not necessarily their swing. And I think if you get a professional, whether it's a um, instructor or a fitter, they can at least guide the process to get you into a better piece of equipment um, and eliminate you know, it's, it's this uncertainty that we have because, you know, the golf swings, a car crash, it happens so quickly. And yet, you know, if you've ever been in an auto accident, you try to make sense of what happens and you're working with about five, 10% of the facts, but, but then you reconstruct the rest of it to create this story because that's the way our brains work. And that's the golf swing right there. And that's fitting as well. If you're not being fit by a professional is you're going, I think the shaft's a little too weak. Uh, I think that, you know, maybe the loft's a little too strong. And, and you're self-diagnosing. And unfortunately, you just don't have all of the information to do so. All right. I'm done with my rant. Well, I mean, you're exactly right, though, Gene. And and there's been more scenarios that I can count where it's gotten down to, I mean, two products that are performing very, very closely to where it's just a matter of splitting hairs to figure out which one has the the competitive advantage and i mean i will default to player and go okay numerically here's where we're at without taking a deep dive is there one that gives you better feel better feedback and allows for a better relationship with the club to where you know where it is throughout the entirety of the swing if the answer is no then i mean more often than not that kind of tells me this player is looking to me to validate whatever it is that's going to be the best combination for them. And that's where I'll kind of walk them through the data and we'll talk about standard deviations, which one is the tightest when it comes to some of the parameters that I'm going to prioritize for consistency, whatever that player objective happens to be distance, launch, spin, ball speed, apex height, landing angle, you know, eliminating a particular side of the fairway, whatever it is that we're particularly prioritizing, that's where I'll let the data make the decision for us. Well, and the, and the, the other thing, it reminds me of, I did this test one time. I shouldn't talk about this test, but it's fascinating. So I'm going to bring it up. Um, so all the shaft guys, just hold your hands over your ears for this one, but it, it brand matters. And, 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 trusting a brand matters and it's your confidence in that brand and chris you and i talked about this on a previous podcast you had to give up the driver because it was kind of a no-name brand and you know you just didn't want to be goofed on even though the driver was working so i did this test 
major shaft manufacturer came out and we tested two models of an X-Flex shaft. Uh, difference in, in kick point, as I recall, roughly about the same weight. So I brought out 20 golfers, single digit golfers, all good sticks, all over 105 miles an hour club head speed. And we had them hit both models. It was roughly 50-50, model A and model B. Um, then we had them test in a second round, model A versus model A with the company's logo on the shaft. So 50% of the guys were testing the exact same shaft against each other, but the one was black and one was the logo. The other 50% of the guys were testing the Model B, which they preferred over the Model A, so it should have been a repeat of the test. 100% chose logo and shaft. 100%. And this was, and these were all sticks. These were all great players. These were all high swing players. And um, it, it, showed to me that even at an elite level there's a confidence factor and there's a factor that says man i uh yeah i i see that logo that means that this has got to be a good shaft and if there's any you know and this what we weren't using launch monitors or anything we were just getting their player perception 100 percent chose the logo shaft i believe that absolutely do but also believable you know that that is a very fascinating <coughs> point on the shafts you know i think for the most part golfers if you were to just give them a totally blank shaft without any any idea of on brand i i, I don't know it's just it's tough i mean i i go through this every year with player testing where i hand guys irons and you try and just have them set the iron down and not look at the brand and just see what happens. And I say, just trust me. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna take what you're telling me. I'm going to give you five or six irons a test. And sure enough, I would say at least 70% of the time, they pick the one where they go, oh man, I never, I've never even considered that one before, but it was the best feeling one. And yeah, I, I never would have picked it out because it's not a brand that I've ever played. So anyway, golfers, golfers, I will continue to say it, but they're creatures of habit. If you've been playing brands for years, you're probably going to go back to that brand. It's just the way we are. There's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes you end up end up missing out on good stuff. It's it. If I can add two cents to the the shaft conversation and creatures of habit for golfers, the uh, amount of players that I've had. Oh, I play a sixty gram stiff, and I just sit there and I go, oh, here we go. And that gives me an opportunity to go down this rabbit hole and go, well, from who? And I go, well, I just, I just play a 60 gram stiff and I'm going, okay, well, let's talk about that a little bit. And there's no industry standard for flex. And while it says 60 grams on the side of the shaft, it might be 62, might be 64, might be 68, might be 67. And where a shaft flex is relevant is basically when it's sitting on a shelf in a retail store as Ben profile that complements how it is that you load and release a shaft is so much more important. And we've done that testing J wall multiple times <clears throat> where we will have just shaft blanks and no idea who the manufacturer is, no idea what the Ben profile is here, hit this. And then once we reveal what it is and who makes it, oh, all of a sudden it just doesn't work anymore. Shocker. It's, it's so interesting. Um, right. All right. Some other things that caught my eye this week in Houston. Superstroke is, they're doing a little, I wouldn't say like a total rebrand, but they're, they're Traxian putter grips that you've seen. They're removing the Traxian name. They're giving it a fresh look. So different colors, little bit different graphics on on these new grips. I'll post some pictures up on the fully equipped Instagram account at Fully Equipped Golf. And they're adding a name. You know the the cap on the end of the putter grips where you can add in the weight if you want to do a little bit of counterweighting for those putter grips. They they're now calling it Zenergy, not Synergy because that's a that's a foot joy shoe. And, and they've already got that one, but it's called Zenergy, Z-E-N-E-R-G-Y. Zenergy. 
So that's that's going to be the the new name on the end of the the butt cap on these putter grips. So they've got something out that's new. I noticed Bettinardi had four putters. I'll I'll throw these up during the week too on the Instagram page. They had uh, I guess it was three models that are new prototypes. A mallet. Um, looks like. Uh, they're calling it experimental, but it's it's kind of a high MOI mallet. Got got some you know thicky wings on it, and then they also have a a blade, prototype blade. So these are typically the way Bettinardi does it. And a lot of other manufacturers, if you see it out on tour like this, chances are these putters will be eventually coming to retail in some shape or form. So that's exciting for those of you out there that are playing Bettinardi putters. The, this is a funny story. So I picked up a Toulon putter this week and on the face, it was stamped Tourlon, T-O-U-R-L-O-N, instead of Toulon, which is Sean Toulon and his sons who created Toulon putters. And so I asked about it and it was a mistake. They accidentally added the R by mistake, but they kept the putter out there. And I think they're onto something. If you have their new tour lawn line, somebody's gonna make a lot of money off this. They should. They should just have a totally custom. Yeah, it's. I. I told them. I was like, just own oh, it. Oh yeah. It's a happy accident. Just own it. The putter looks good. It's a Madison, but it has tour lawn stamped on the heel. It's the you, circle T of tour lawn. I, Do you, you know, really think that's I, maybe, an accident? They, maybe they're. Maybe they're just. Maybe they're just screwing with me. But that's a conspiracy. The conspiracy part of me, and I'm He's not putting, a big conspiracy Gene guy. Gene is putting but come on, on someone can't the, uh, the before they said something week, else. Folks. Yeah, no, it's like, <laughs> come on, you can't read. You, you, well, it's already stamped you on there. Can't just read. Leave it. Oh it just my has god! An extra, oh, it has an wow, extra we missed that. Who cares? <laughs> how did how did we miss that? Oh boy, let's <laughs> act coy when people ask us about it uh, to create even more. Grandpa, buzz. Grandpa Gene, Mister Webb, sorry, over there. sorry, I've been in this. I've been in this. I've been in this. Get off my lawn! I've been in this industry a little too long to believe that they got they got four guys looking eyeballs at every inch of that putter. Oh, you tell me funny. they missed the spelling? Yeah, not by that. Yeah. You know, you 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 said that uh, yeah. Zenergy thing. Going back to that, of course, I like I immediately had to look up the uh, like how things are graphed. Like if you think of like axes in like geometry, and Z axis or Z axis, whoever you know, I'm Canadian. I'll use up the Z down. axis is up and down. Is is the up and is the up and down axis, which makes me right. think that you know counter core was what they called it before, which is the the weight in the shaft. So I think the whole thing is like rebranding the the um, the center of mass up and down the putter shaft with that uh, that grip core. So you know I think we might see another push for that counterbalance because you see it with uh, the a number of different shafts that are out like just shafts that are out there. First off, not so much necessarily with grips the way it's marketed, but if you look at uh, like Stroke Lab, like they have a counter weight in them as well. So. Just that for for superstrokes purposes, I think the name is probably just a, a, a reference to the the way they're shifting the center of gravity up and down the putter in relative to the shaft. So, um, yeah, that, that's my that's my detective quick detective work there on nerding out on on you know three dimensional axes Jeez. when we're talking about putter grips. We went full nerd there. There's nothing wrong with that on this podcast. I like it. I do. I, <laughs> I appreciate our, our, our full nerd. brought some proper full nerd to this, to this fair podcast. Isn't that, isn't that like, isn't that like I mean, the cornerstone it, I almost of thought it was pod? just lots I mean, of, you, lots of dad on. jokes and, you know, making fun of, making fun of the fact that you don't have a speaker. I thought that was, that, I, I just, that I was just the, don't, I just, the genesis of this podcast. <laughs> We actually talk about gear on this one. I just, I just, I just tell yeah, random stories life. and talk about my dating life occasionally <laughs> and my hikes in Coachella. RB, RB has forgotten more about golf equipment than I will ever know. So we need somebody to keep us like in line and to be the yeah. encyclopedia around here, hands down. Well, so. I, I mean, I was digging into, I was digging into patents the other day. I was going to start searching up some stuff today, and I was looking at irons, and I was just like, man, this is a rabbit hole. Like, this is just. 
I go real nerd out here for for a long time. But I mean, shout out to to Claire Rogers on our who does the Rogers report on on golf.com. I sent her a message because she was talking about all of these different things. There was weddings and she covers a lot of the social media element of what we do at golf.com. And it is uh, is insane. Encyclopedia. Unbelievable. I sent her, I sent her a message and I said, uh, Claire, your knowledge of, you know, tour wives and relationships and children and parties and anniversaries. And I sent handshake emoji and it's my knowledge of random golf clubs that were only (laughs) released in Asia in a small market for six months. (laughs) <laughs> i said we all have our we all have our niche and i was like i don't know how you remember this stuff and i also you know people ask me the same thing like how do you know that iron set i'm like i don't know this the company doesn't exist anymore they went out of business 10 years ago and i'll tell you who designed it and where it went and where they went and where it, you know turned into another company and did all these things and they're just up there right you know i guess you find you find the thing that you're good at right but i always shout out to her because i know she she did a lot of digging this week and some stuff and you can check it out at golf.com but you know that's you know that's the relationship yeah, stuff that i don't really follow funny. when it comes to tour players um, the other bit of gear news from houston i had a chance to not only pull out justin rose's custom your irons and snap some in-hand photos i had a chance to briefly chat with Rosie about these new clubs and he told me that he had had a conversation with the mirror guys offered up a little bit of feedback on what he was looking to see and they just whipped up a set of custom irons for him Uh, at first glance I will say that I, I go man these look like a set of blank 101s that that's initially what I thought but there are some subtle changes when, when you mentioned to me that he'd offered up some feedback. One of them is there's, there's all, I mean, compared to the one-on-ones, there's significantly more offset. And I say when compared to the one-on-ones because the one-on-ones had very minimal offset. And it's funny how both Rosie and Adam Scott, Adam Scott, who's using a set of custom mirror blades, they both like a little bit more offset which I love because it drives gearheads crazy. I mean, the comments that I received when I posted photos of these is like too much offset for me. And I'm thinking, do, do people, do people know that the benefit of offset, even just a sem- like a little bit of offset, like, come on guys. No. Stop, stop saying that you need That's zero enough. offset <laughs> onset. It's too much offset one of the best ball strikers on the planet i'm pretty sure that you could hit these and be just fine but there, there is a bit more offset on these i also noticed the the toe on rosie's a bit more rounded than what you're going to find on the 101s 101s feel like they're i mean compared to the, his are a little bit sharper so a couple of subtle changes to his in in comparison to the 101s but they look beautiful he's been really happy with them he said so I don't think they're going anywhere. And he also had <laughs> RB pointed this pointed this out because he saw some extra photos of Rosie's gear. He had a Apex Plus two iron, Ben Hogan Apex Plus two iron in the bag. But it's just a training club. And when you're when you're a a proper elite ball striker, probably nothing wrong with doing a little bit of little bit of consistency work with a uh, with an old school two iron on the range. The thing, the interesting thing about the two iron is like, if you look at the old Hogan stuff, right? Like he likes offset, obviously like looking at, I was just, as you were talking there, I kind of went back through your photos that you had posted on Twitter and, uh, you know, those old Hogan's had that little more offset to them, especially got it as you got into the longer irons. I know a lot of people, it's funny because like, as you said, like a lot of people like, like, Oh, I don't like offset. I don't like offset. But if you look at all the blades that people like to look at the backs of, and then you set them down, they have freaking offset. Like that's the thing that people don't understand or like they don't really even realize that it's there. And it's the same with like, you know, some of the McGregor, like the 10, here we go, 1025s, like some of the last V-foil irons that came out, like they have quite a bit of offset in the longer irons. And you're going to tell me, oh, Jose Maria Orthobel didn't, you know, wasn't a good ball striker. Screw off, man. Like, come on. He was like one of the best. So you know, to understand what it actually does, I think is, is really interesting. And again, some people prefer a little offset. I kind of prefer a little less, just I'm shallow. So for me, it's, it's, it's something that works for me. 
but you know, really good ball strikers tend to be a little bit steeper into the ball. And, you know, it works for them because it does some things dynamically that helps them deliver the golf club. But uh, yeah, just looking at them now, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that seven iron picture that you posted and I'm going to post a comparison pick of my seven iron that I have. And yeah, uh, we'll, exactly. you know, we'll that's what I was actually look, doing. Themselves. I was looking at, at some one-on-one photos that I, I took when I had those for the very first time and I'm going, yeah, a little bit, a little bit more offset, a little bit more rounded toe, but yeah, they, they look, they look very similar. So anyway, Rosie's happy with those. Another guy with custom irons. Another reason why it's great to be brand agnostic because Rosie doesn't have an equipment deal, so he can play what he wants. Same thing with Adam Scott. He, he's now uh, a gear free agent. So I'm starting to, I think, you know, I wouldn't say you're seeing a lot of guys go that route, but I, I heard some interesting conversations today. And again, won't make, won't name names. But one guy was saying his deal was up, and he was basically saying like the the money that he could get for an equipment deal just really wasn't worth it. So he's he's strongly considering going the free agent route. And you know, as purses continue to increase, especially if you're a guy you bet on yourself, and now with these with these events where the top players in the world are showing up and the purses are bigger. If you bet on yourself and you end up getting into that elite group, maybe you don't need a gear deal. Maybe you just stick with what you got. So I, I think this player, I I think what he was saying is what, what some other guys that maybe are on the fringe of maybe getting into that, you know, kind of top tier. I think they're probably thinking the same thing now. I mean, unless they're getting crazy money, but it doesn't feel like the gear deals are like that anymore. It, it you know, maybe for the, you know, handful of guys at the very top, but unless you're one of those, you know, maybe two or three guys, maybe it's worth it. I don't know. The, the, the pyramid is a steep slope sure. at this point. It used to be a very wide triangle. And at this point it's become very steep when it comes to the way they pay out. And I, and they, you know, what, if you're not a, you know, just like, you know, Rose with the mirror irons, or if he goes to another tour van, still, still did he have had, the M2 in the, the bag M2. still too as well? I know still he had that had old driver. The, the M6, M6 fairway. The OG M2. Yeah, he's, yeah, he, he's proper old school tailor-made. Nuts. I mean, some of those are just absolute classics, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that that say, it's a really M2 tough driver to, so to be. I was on eBay so trying to find good. one again. <laughs> I was on eBay. Of course so I you were. Like, yeah, I was wondering about that too no, when you pointed just... it out, RB. I'm like, I wonder if he's going to go look for one. I was going to message oh, you. Yeah. I was like, can I can Spence I expense it. this and I can test it? <laughs> all right, there we go. There's I got I got official confirmation. So I ever got an email. I got all these other people listening yeah. to prove that look, I'm, look, I'm going to expense a driver's expense report. Um, I love anyway, it. all right. Last thing that I wanted to mention: the USGA came out with some updated rules for 2023, just some minor tweaks. One of them, the ability to replace a broken club during the course of play. If it's, if it's not, you know, done out of frustration. So I think that's, that's a, you know, a rule that needed to be made. One that didn't get a whole lot of, of play that RB wrote up for golf.com was, something that occurred last year when Rory Sabatini was DQ'd for playing a driver that had the fiducials on the face. And, you know, I think some people were like, are you kidding me? The fiducials don't do anything. I I say fiducials like everybody knows what that is. But if you, if you use a launch monitor, yeah, the, the little reflective stickers. Hey, we should clarify, those are the tiny little stickers yeah, from the GC face markers. Quad. Yeah, I just <laughs> say fiducials because it's, it's a, lot, yeah, more, a lot more fun to say than face markers. <clears throat> the technical term, correct. The technical term. Anyway, it is more fun to if say. you're looking for, is more fun to say. for club data in addition to, to ball, if you're using a device like a Foresight GC Quad, then that's something that you would want to put on the driver face. Anyway, he still had him on there. It just seemed like a silly rule to, to DQ a guy over something like that. But now RB is it, it's not going to be if, I guess if you remove it before the round and you notice it, it's, you're not going to be DQ'd. Yeah. 
So it was, it was, um, if you left it on and you started your round of golf, yeah. even if you took yeah. it off, you couldn't play that golf club without being disqualified. Now, if you leave it on and you don't play the club, it doesn't matter anyways. But if you leave it on and take it off and use the golf club after, then there's no disqualification. So even if you start your round, say it's on like a seven iron or something, obviously for, um, Sabatini, it was on a, um, it was on a three wood. So his head cover was on it. So you didn't think about it, pulled it off, DQ'd. Um, I mean, if the way I play golf, uh, I probably, none of my rounds officially count for a handicap then. Cause I have them on my driver all the time. Cause I'm not replacing these dots. I don't have like loads and loads of these things kicking around all the time. Um, but it's just, it's again, it's, it's, it's a simplification of something that I think they realized was kind of dumb. And I, I pointed that out because I think that uh, you know, golf is complicated. A lot of rules are complicated. How many people are actually like this? It, it applies to people at the highest level who are either getting coaching, who are using one of these things with their coach, players who are testing equipment, like golf nerds like myself or someone who has a demo or something like that. If you know if they borrow a, a true spec head and you go out and play in a competition, right? You got to take those things off. Or for a player who's just testing gear on the range at the, again, at the highest level. Um, more of a reminder, but I also think it just, it just prevents confusion because everyone's looking at you like, well, this is stupid guys. Like it doesn't make a difference. I'm not hitting it on the dots. If I hit one of these things on the dots or on the outside of the club face, it's going to result in a crappy shot anyways. So just, you know, if you notice it, take it off and just go play golf. Um, again, I think it's just, it's one of the other things, um, as well as the thing that I liked, I thought was really cool. And there's a bunch of different versions of this rule included in this is the, um, uh, for golfers with a disability. Because, you know, I love the fact that, you know, anyone can play this game and they, you know, the USGA with their, um, the adaptive open and all these the, the things, the initiatives that they've created to help get more people playing and help people compete on like a level playing field uh, to be able to, you know, have adaptations for golf clubs to be able to do that and then have all these different rules that allow players to go through this process, I think is, uh, you know, another step in the right direction when it comes to these things. And again, this, it only applies most golfers don't like by the rules anyways. Let's be real frank about that. So, you know, when we're talking about competition and people who want to play in this, it, it is just another step, but it's like, you know, when it's like, I don't know, when you go bowling, who really cares? Like a lot of, a lot of people treat golf, like they treat bowling or they treat a pickup basketball game, right? Not always playing by the rules or just there to have fun. But for those that are playing, you know, it just simplifies it. So someone doesn't get, you know, some kid doesn't go across the country to play in a tournament and gets disqualified. And it's, it's, a, it's a rule that, that should have been put in place after this happened. But, you know, like the USGA usually does, they take their time. They usually try and bundle a lot of these rule changes together. It's So anyway, it's one that was necessary and it's going to happen. Well, I think that'll do it for, oh, here we go. This is, I, was I got one more this. question. I'm, I was kind of wondering if we were going to get this question. You said you had a surprise. I got one more question. This is, you know, this, Jonathan, you've been through all the vans. So like all the tour trailers and stuff like that. So, you know, obviously like this is directed to you as well. Uh, but to Chris and Gene, right. And I, and I, I post this on Instagram uh, this evening and I, I, you know, I've written about it in the past and, you know, written pieces on it. Probably going to probably reheat this piece a little bit, kind of take a different perspective on it. But you no, know, I have a build shop in my house and I'm a relatively organized person. I was never an organized child. Uh, I was very, very scattered. Uh, but when I went away to school and I had a small dorm room, I got very used to like organizing things. And that just kind of like continued on for the rest of my life. Basically by the time I was hit 20, I was okay. I should actually probably like organize my crap. So I know where it is. So in my build shop, I keep it very, very organized. And I've always said the sign of a professional, whatever it happens to be, if you're a chef, uh, cause I used to, you know, I used to work in beer and I'd go to restaurants and I'd walk through kitchens and stuff like that. Not, I was inspecting it. Just, you know, that, that's the way you got to the bar, but a, uh, a clean work area is a sign of professionalism, whatever you're in, whether you're a fitter or a club builder. And, uh, you know, from your guys' perspective, what do you see as far as those things that kind of showcase when you know someone is, I don't want to say good at their job, but someone who like treats their job, like their, their workspace with respect. Cause I'm sure having been to all the true specs, I will say they are very clean, <laughs> which I love. And, uh, you know, you know, interesting to get your guys' take on this. Uh, this I don't know. I don't know it's really a hot take, but I just, I'm curious to get your opinion on, you know, the idea of keeping your workspace clean. Well, as somebody that uh, helps to manage and run all of these true spec facilities, I appreciate the fact that you acknowledge that they are clean and 
relatively modern contemporary in design. <clears throat> but I would agree with you 100% that in a, a professional that takes pride in what it is that they do and that is truly a master of their craft is going to take pride in the appearance of their workspace and also take pride in the appearance of their tools and what it is that they're using for uh, whatever profession that they're in. That doesn't even necessarily have to be golf. And I mean, I can say that my stepdad was the <clears throat> director of service and warranty for uh, Bluebird back in the Midwest. And so this is a a shop, you know, a, a mechanic shop filled with mechanics. And you could go into that shop and go into his toolbox, which was massive. And every single tool was clean. And every single tool had a, a home within this giant toolbox. And uh, like you've said in the past, RB, like somebody could call him and say, hey, where is this? And he would be able to direct you to exactly where it was because everything went back to where it belonged at the end of the day and after every job. I, I just think it's one of those things where like, you know, again, you probably, you see all the time, Jonathan, you go in the yeah. vans, they're always busy, they, but they know exactly where everything is. Everything's organized. There isn't a, that's why those guys have that job is because you can tell that they're, they, they, sure. they know exactly what they're, they're doing. They're comes clean, to their spaces. but for me, the one thing that I, I, I would always, just add, one I thing know that, that they have a handle on everything that's in there is they have label makers and they label every single drawer, not just the drawers with the shafts and the heads, but where the hats are, where the gloves are, where any sort of build components, you know, the, the trucks that have everything labeled, I don't know what it is, but I walk in there and I'm kind of like, man, they got their shit together because they know where everything is in this place. And there's not a lot. I mean, yes, the trucks are big because you need space, not only for the reps, but also if a tour pro or a couple of pros come on or, you know, usually when it's raining, you might get four or five tour pros and maybe they're caddies. So you need some space, but yeah, you need to know where everything is. And anyway, whenever I walk onto the trucks that have all the, the stuff labeled, you're like, all right, they, they know what's going on. They got a handle on it. Well, yeah, the, the only thing that I would add to that is uh, documentation. In, in other words, a clean workspace is definitely representative of efficiency and pride. But, you know, for me... Uh, and I kind of learned this, you know, kind of the hard way or not, not really coming from a testing environment when I started this company and, you know, I just wing it in the first couple of years. And then all of a sudden someone would ask me about a test and I couldn't remember because, you know, I'd done 250 of them and I quickly realized document everything. And then that way it's really easy to go back and see Oh, okay. Yes, we tested this way and then this happened. And so documentation is kind of my cornerstone that whenever I look at how someone's, uh, you know, especially something technical or data driven, I look to see if they're taking notes, if they're, you know, recording this so that they can use it as a reference, you know, going back. And that, that's just, it's just because I deal in data and, you know, it, it but it's, it can be a little time consuming and especially like in a retail environment, it can be challenging to be honest with you sometimes. But if, if, if you can really effectively document, I think that um, you also uh, create a, uh, a much more um, kind of consistent experience when, you know, I'm all about trend lines and seeing how things, you know, kind of play out. And so, you know, that, you're an equipment geek, RB. I'm a data geek, you know, as far as looking at, you know, performance and things like that. Well, I'll, I'll say to that, uh, I got like two little quick things. I have a notebook that has all my thing, like all the clubs that I built for myself personally. So that's like a little, I wouldn't say less organized because I can always expect them after the fact. But I do have a Google Drive that has all the clubs that I've ever built or most of them, like especially iron sets, like documented for like shaft weight, total weight, all these things. But I can specifically remember a time when I worked in a custom shop. I had someone come back and I did this for six years when I worked at the shop. I wrote down every single golf club that I built and who I built it for every single day, whether I finished and like finished the build that day or like glued components the next day, I wrote every single thing down. 
I had a customer come back one time and I would say that the person was, well, they, they were being dishonest and they said, oh, you sold me the shaft and you know it broke at the tip. And I looked at the driver and I said, we didn't sell you that driver. And he goes, no, no, this is the driver you fit me for. And I said, okay, well, give me a second. And he looked in and we looked in and he, he just bought the tip. He bought the tip in the shaft. So we didn't have the driver, but I, I, I knew that it was not the case. So I said, okay, give me a second. Let's look up your receipt. Okay. I went and found one of my four notebooks that they sat in my office and I went back and I said, no, no, I put this on a, I put this on a Cobra tip. Here it is. Here's your name. I wrote it down. Let's go back and check one more time. You get to Cobra tip. You brought it back with a different tip on it and it's broken. And I can see that I, I we never did the work on this. So like, I can't like, you know, someone else has done it and we can't warranty. And he's like, Oh, well I did it. And then all of a sudden he's like, Oh, I remember oh, I had it done man. in another shop. And yeah. oh, I guess, you know, maybe they did this. And I was like, this is why like two years ago I wrote this down and now you're coming back to me. So like it holds my, I hold myself accountable if someone asks me a question, but you know, you know, keeping records is always good for you know, that exact case. So unfortunately that guy, you know, he lost, that's what happens, but you know, that's you protect yourself in that case, which I think is, is exactly the point gene. Um, but I think as far as record keeping, you know, that's always important too. Cause if someone calls to love this golf club, guess what? We're going to give you another one just like it. And that's, you know, that's always the goal when it comes to comes to doing right. these things. Yeah, it's a good Absolutely. place to tie a bow on episode 165 of Fully Equipped. Yeah, I know. It's a lot of it's a lot of dad jokes and Gene stories about his dating life. But if you want more gear news, which is probably the reason you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> check us out on social media. We're at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram and at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter. And hey, fingers crossed that this episode actually uploads. We had some major issues last week. Apologies to everybody who tried to listen to the podcast but only heard a minute and 30 seconds. Coach did do a re-upload, but I don't know. Some people were still having issues with listening to the pod. Even the last couple of days, I've received DMs from people saying they still can't listen. My apologies. We will make sure that we don't get strike two on the Sphere podcast. So look for this episode in its entirety. And if not, if you don't hear this part, then sorry, <laughs> we're doing something wrong. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week.